you're passionate about transforming retail operations and improving performance, plus you're accountable for key change projects and programs in your company, then you're in the right place. Welcome to the Retail Transformation Show with me, Oliver Banks. Hey there, and welcome to the Retail Transformation Show. I'm Oliver Banks, your host and your guide to successfully delivering retail transformation. Thanks for tuning in. This episode is number 108, number 108. And today we're exploring one of the big competitive advantage elements that exists within the retail marketplace right now. Supply chains. So absolutely, supply chains can create a huge competitive advantage. 2020 has meant that everyone can see and understand the importance of any given retailer being able to effectively, reliably, consistently put a product in the right place at the right time. And 2020 has also helped us understand the importance of having an agile and flexible supply chain. So that's what we're diving into today, Agile Supply Chains. And to help us, we're going to be joined by Gary Newbury. Gary is one of Canada's top retail supply chain and digital fulfillment strategists. He's serially transformed end-to-end retail distribution networks and supply chains in the UK and Canada and obviously globally as well to really deliver exceptional fulfillment and distribution performance. You know, he's got a 30-year track record of this transformational change, as you're going to hear in the conversation, actually, long before some of the heralded supply chain success stories that we'd still talk about today. Gary's been doing this for a long, long time, and he knows his stuff. So he's got notable successes, improving performance in various fulfillment facilities, distribution networks, and of course, last mile as well focusing on performance improvements, focusing on service, focusing on profits, all within complex and fast-moving and often quite ambiguous retail supply chain environments. Sound familiar? I think so. So as a a capable chief supply chain officer, Gary is recognised as a thought leader in the retail supply chain of the future by various professional bodies and on LinkedIn and has won a number of awards and certifications. So Gary is absolutely the right person to be guiding us through Agile Supply Chains. It's a little longer conversation than usual, so I'm going to get straight on into this one. Show notes are at obandco.uk slash 108, and I'll join you on the other side. Here's Gary Newbury. Hey, so today I'm really pleased to welcome a real expert when it comes to retail supply chains and logistics, Gary Newbury. Gary! How are you? I'm absolutely fine, Oliver. Brilliant to be here. Brilliant to be on your show. Looking forward to this. Always listen to pretty much all your podcasts. It always uh, result in big gems that I can take away and think about and potentially do something with. Well, thank you so much. And great to hear that you enjoy listening. And I'm sure you're going to be bringing some of these uh, famed golden nuggets to our conversation today, which I'm really excited about. So a very warm welcome to the show. Thank you. Now, As we know, 2020 has been really tough on the whole retail environment and the whole business environment, let's be honest. And one of the areas that has really had a light shone on it is that of the supply chain and logistics industry. 
there have been two key pieces, in my view, that have really shone out. Number one is about visibility and supply chain visibility. And number two is what I'm keen to dive into today, which is all about agility and agile supply chains. First up, Gary, what do we mean by an agile supply chain? I think in general terms, there's some mystery about this because we sometimes might think we're doing things agilely or agilely when actually we're not doing anything more than we were doing yesterday, but perhaps a bit Mm. faster. So I think some the qualities of uh, being agile is, well, if we just step back and think about the word agile, it often means to to move quickly and easily, much as an athlete or a dancer mm. might do. And if we change the word move to think, think quickly and easily, we start to get some idea of what we need to have as an organization, not necessarily just in the supply chain, how we need to think about problems, about problem solving to meet our consumers' uh, requirements, which are constantly changing and emerging and changing lots of different directions, we need to adopt an agile mindset, which means being open, being flexible, being adaptive, and learning and improving. I think these things are some of the qualities that if we looked at the supply chain, is it adaptive? Is it learning? Is it improving? What, what What's going on there? Mm. The KPIs, like the little factoids that you'd collect and tick them off, say, yep, it looks like it's it has all the evidence of being relatively agile. Yeah, that makes sense. So we're talking about, I suppose, agile with a little a, as opposed to agile with a capital A, as in the methodology that's often associated with IT, although they're, they're closely linked, obviously. That's what we're thinking about right now, yes? Yeah, I think so. We've got a bleed over of terms because, you know, the the whole concept of agility probably came from a more technology purpose in the sense of, you know, we used to have these very long scaled projects of building technology would be measured in man hours, you know, with thousands of man hours devoted to this thing. And the, the, the agile methodology, which I think derived around the dot-com boom around that time, said, we've got to find a better way of doing this. We can't imagine scoping a big thing and getting it absolutely perfect, which will last over a period of years for our development cycle. We need to sort of break this down into small packets of work where we do what they call sprints on, mm. get to an answer, learn, what did we learn, reflect that in the plan, and, and then do another sprint, what did we learn, improve and keep moving towards the, the overall goal. And it's a bit hard to imagine that within a supply chain environment because a two-week sprint might actually look like a two-year sprint. I'm imagining delivery drivers running with parcels. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. But if we think about some of the capabilities, because we're talking about, in that agile methodology, we're talking about building capabilities or building learning. If we then translate that into a supply chain context and say, we're trying to build some warehouses, well, how quickly can you, you can extend the warehouse, you can fill it up with a bit more racking, Mm. you can build an extension within a few months, if you play your cards right. But when you're saying, we want to go to a new site and build a new capability of a new warehouse and equip it with, you know, state-of-the-art automation and some great configurable WMS. That could, that's not two weeks' work. You might think about describing it or scoping it in two weeks, but to actually build it and deliver it and have it up and running, that may be a couple of years. So mm. an agile supply chain must mean something different to that. It must mean how do we approach a change in demand pattern how do we approach that and how do we respond to that in a flexible way, which is an effective 
way of responding to this and an efficient way and a sustainable way. Mm. I'm going to underline the sustainable way because I think many organizations are running around. They're using the old tools and techniques that they've done for like 10, 15, 20 years, whatever it might be, and trying to navigate this environment and saying, right, run it a bit faster. Oh, great. We're agile (laughs) because we did it faster. Well, not really. Firstly, you may have been completely inefficient, completely ineffective. You got a result, but it, you know, by which means? And also, can you actually sustain that level of intense activity? And the answer is often no. Yeah, that's a really good point. So I totally understand. And, you know, thinking about changing demand patterns, thinking about this high intensity kind of captures what we've seen this year. So what have been the problems, I suppose, of not having an agile supply chain that we've seen in the retail industry in 2020? Yeah, the first thing, the first obvious evidence is, um, well, if we think about the public, uh, and certainly in GB, we've had lots of discussion about, you know, as a, as a result of Brexit, you know, supply chains, efficient supply chains breaking down because of, you know, potential you know, barriers and stuff going up between GB and, and the rest of the EU. Mm. Now in COVID, we're saying supply chains are broken down. Oh, because I can't go down to the local store like I used to and pick up a loaf of bread, a set of toilet rolls or some hand sanitizers. Not that I probably would have done that, but now now we're in this pandemic. Our needs are changing. Our priorities are changing. And we go to the store, go online and find that you know there's an unfulfilled expectation. I press knobs on my Amazon site and I can't get hand sanitizer for four weeks or go to a store, the shelf is empty. The supply chain is broken down. The public's perception is there's something wrong with the supply chain. And I wonder how else this is manifesting itself in other areas. Mm. So the whole area of supply chain from a public point of view is it's like, oh dear, this is bad. And what else is going to be bad? This failure to fulfill shelves or to fill them up correctly and to have a good display of all the normal products may actually end up driving panic buying or at least increasing the cycles of which shoppers go to stores to secure their weekly shopping. Mm, and I suppose there's a couple of things to be thinking about here because obviously what we've seen, particularly in the in the grocery market as you've as you've highlighted, are some industry wide supply chain challenges where toilet roll and hand sanitizer demand went up by, I don't know, a million percent or whatever. And no one could cope and everyone was out. But then I suppose there's the other side where actually, if you do not have the agile supply chain and everyone else does, and you end up having that proverbial short straw and you end up being the one with empty shelves, then that's a a different challenge as well, I guess. Yeah. I think that, um, again, if we just step back and think about agile in thought process, the agile supply chain is like, for me, it's it's an outcome of a shift in the organization to uh, perhaps a different organizational structure, business model, way of thinking, way of behaving with each other, and how we interact with our suppliers. So one of the key aspects of having an agile supply chain is actually having a much better relationship with our suppliers. Mm. For them to think, I'd rather go to this route to market than they may be through Amazon's marketplace, Walmart's marketplace, or going direct because, do you know what, they make it really easy for me to access mass markets. And we seem to be collaborating together quite comfortably, and we are in this game together rather than the traditional 
way that suppliers may that CPGs or FMCGs may think about the retail saying, oh my God, I have to go for my annual review. I'm going to get seriously um, cut back on my aspirations, or a light way of putting it. And <laughs> I know halfway through the, like, the annual cycle, they're going to change their spec and it's going to further layer costs into me and the retailer is going to turn around and say, well, just wear it. Mm. So the concept of agile supply chain is that we're all aligned. We're all in the same game. We're all aiming to win together, not I'm trying to win as a retailer with my consumers, but it's often at the cost of the supply or the supply network. And do you know what? If you can't do it, I'll find somebody else who can. That's not really setting out the stall to be agile. Mm. Yeah, I love it. I love that point about alignment. So thinking about the key organizational elements about having that agile supply chain, supplier experience is, is absolutely one of them. What else is there, Gary, that, that we should be thinking about? Yeah, the retailers for a long, long time and, and their supply partners have always placed huge reverence on forecasting, forecasting demand, mm. and often not prepared to do the hard work of thinking that how could we supply within the order lead time? Because mm-hmm. if we could supply within the order lead time, and we just had a series, a bit like the Zara kind of situation that people keep saying this is a classic agile supply chain. I mean, I was implementing agile supply chains 20 years ago uh, for a number of companies in England. I, I, I didn't call it agile. I actually called it applying a postponement strategy, which is mm. basically deferring the point of customization until the latest possible point in the delivery cycle. So, for instance, you would just store up a load of raw materials. You know what Zara does. It it buys, you know, maybe four or five different fabric types in great bulk. When it waits for the, the demand to come in or the, like the patterns or its styles to come in, then it can dye that, that material. It can chop it into the different styles and get it across globally dispersed transport networks that we have the benefit of now and get it into stores within maybe two to four weeks, whereas a traditional apparel retailer will look to its apparel manufacturer and say, here's, here's a six-month demand forecast. And, and if you take this to like a toy retailer, you know, imagine you're, you're having to make a forecast in, say, April for stuff that might be absolutely flying off the shelves or not around the Christmas time, but you're having to commit to an order quantity and as you get your stock into your warehouse, they're switching to the next season. So you've got no easy way of recovering. Say if you do find that millennial falcon and it's literally flying off the shelves and now you've run out of stock, you look to your, uh, your partner. They've, they've moved their production on to the next season. You've got nowhere to go. Mm. My argument here, I think I'm alluding to, is local supply. Local supply allows you to think about very short lead times, being able to potentially manufacture or supply within the lead time, and having a much more integrated, collaborative relationship with local suppliers than you would do, say, a supplier as far away, and and I'm in Canada, as far away as China or even as as far away as Mexico, which is another two or 3,000 miles away, uh, which sounds like an ocean away (laughs) if you're in England. Mm. Most people, when they're surveyed during this time, would you buy local, especially in the the context of where did this flu come from and all that kind of clutter? They will say, I will buy local. 
And they will say, are you prepared to pay a little bit more? And they will say, yes, but Wolve is another matter. But you know, they're, they're ticker <laughs> because it's highly virtuous to do that. But imagine we had a cost model that was allowing us to see the benefits or the cost or reduction of cost of being able to be flexible in terms of our assortment we could offer, the timescales of which that assortment could be churned out, the ability not to have long supply chains in terms of stock holding or pipelines versus looking at that same model and, and applying it to a, a geographically extended supply chain where you've probably got eight weeks of stock stuck in your in your network somewhere. You may not be paying for it directly, but you're certainly paying for it. Yes. And your ability to change that, well, you, you know, you may have four or five shiploads coming at you in various stages mm. in production at the dock, on the boat, you know, on the receiving dock, in your warehouse, in your store network. Yep. When we think about how cheap that is per item versus looking at the fully loaded costs and the inability to swap out quickly and to get ahead of a market, we haven't got a cost model that allows us to see that clearly because I'm almost certain and it's just a gut feel, but I'm more certain that if we can work closely as a retailer with our local suppliers, we may be at a substantial competitive advantage. It may not immediately look like that on the profit and loss account, but I think that over time, we can um, set trends using local suppliers. This is the essence, I believe, of agile and agile supply chains. That's interesting. You know, over the past probably 10 or 20 years, we've seen a, an increased growth in the global supply chain, looking at the cheapest source of supply and different elements. And actually, from a sustainability perspective, not necessarily all that great. And then more recently, probably again, last 10 years, maybe a little less than that, thinking more about the end to end supply chain with almost a, a look at we recognize that we've got this huge global network and actually what does that look like? And actually now is the trend to then almost reverse that and go, and go local, go small, so that you can almost see the end-to-end. Yes, I, I think that the trend is developing almost as a talking point, but I'd like to see the trend developing as an action point that people are actually working on that. And I think that this is going to be for each country, each nation state, part of its national recovery from, from the situation that we're in. And it's, I don't see that as protectionism. I actually think it's good business sense. But as I said, that we need a, a cost model or cost modeling that, that allows us. But let me, let me just take your point that you, you made. Imagine you were looking at the supply chain design and you looked at something which was working in January 2020. You would go and see the manufacturer and you would see that what's being bought there, it's the cheapest it can be done. Then you look at the transport to get it to the dock. Yep. What's the discernible factor here in, from a design point of view? Cheap. Then you go onto the, you know, the loading onto the, you know, into the container onto boat, cheap. And you keep going through it and you keep saying, I've got a design, a supply chain design, which is optimized on individual fragments of a whole array of logistics components that gets me from, you know, stuff getting, getting made to stuff being sold in stores or on the internet, all made mm. up of, I can't actually, all I can do is describe this. I can't write this down as a, as a purposeful design. But all I can say is this is not even a cost optimized. This is a fragmented, dysfunctional supply chain design. Mm. Now, if we take that as, as a 
I would say, a, a starting point for the, the lockdown and pandemic response. Now we're we're at the front end of this. We're in the warehouse. We're in our four walls of our supply chain, not the extended or end-to-end supply chain. We're looking at our warehouse and we're saying, right, we need to fill these shelves full. Get them full. Let's, let's, let's just do this. Let's get agile. It's a bit hard to imagine that. Agile comes from a point of view of, you know, it's an organizational thing. It's an organizational mindset. If we have time during this call, I'll probably give you some indications to my thoughts about the organizational design of of a retailer and what we might be seeing in uh, starting to emerge. But we look at the supply chain from how do we design a supply chain for agility? The first thing we, we should be thinking about is how do we take ourselves off a reliance on forecasts because we know that regardless of how accurate we think we are, we're never right. We might be close, but we're never right. So the, the best way of unraveling that and removing things like the ball whip effect, which is you know something that happens at the front end of a business gets amplified bigger and bigger across the supply chain and to, to the extent that the manufacturer starts to seriously overproduce or seriously underproduce and, and it causes massive disruption and lots of expediting activity during the supply chain. We want to actually have one that's agile. Mm. And I, I imagine the number of touch points and the, the total time expired for your entire supply chain, the, the longer and more complicated that is, the bigger the, the bullwhip effect is. Yes, very much so. So every time that you have an interface, and remember, much of a supply chain is not visible as a supply chain. Within retailers, they tend to operate in vertical silos, and we know where silos belong. Steve Dennis will tell you exactly where <laughs> silos belong, and uh, I tend to agree. But the supply chain activity is really very much a horizontal process. And if we try and put it into swim lanes, when we were kind of running ourselves at you know, plus or minus 5% every year, we kind of could get away with it. But here we've got, as you mentioned earlier in this conversation, we have massive swings. You know, Certainly some of our grocers have seen 500% increases and decreases on staple lines. So you know, it's very hard to get your mind around how do you handle that within the, the, the situation of a cheap supply chain design based on optimizing the, the cost in each individual element of logistics activity, as opposed to looking at the whole thing and saying, if we're going to become agile, we have to adopt very different behaviors, very different measures, very different processes and systems and data sharing, data visibility. We have to do that. And that's a big, massive step forward. Uh, and, and I'm not sure in the short term that I'm seeing much evidence of, and I'm, I'm not in England, so it may already see some evidence there, but certainly here uh, where I am in Canada, I'm not seeing too much evidence of a, a real movement towards agile supply chain design rather than lots of firefighting, trying to force what we have already to do something that wasn't designed for. Sure, that makes sense. So let's let's help people out to start that journey on the assumption that they haven't started the journey already. What should someone do to start building or defining their agile supply chain, Gary? I have to stand back from that question and say, as I've kind of alluded to earlier on, is I have to look at it from an organizational design point of view. I think retailers have to go through this. Mm. Uh, and um, the guy from Jackman reinvents, he, he made some really important points and he continues to make them in, in Canada and across North America is 
you know, retailers need to reinvent. They need to reinvent their business propositions, their retail concepts. And that may mean changing from a big box format to a small box format, changing from a national presence to a regional presence, you know, lots of things like that. But what drives that is a realignment of marketing to sit on the top of the organization. Marketing's job is to find profitable segments mm. and to help the organization to reorientate itself towards those profitable segments. The next layer, which is another horizontal layer, and marketing's a triangle at the top of the triangle, and then yep. the next level down is is the buying and selling activity. This is all about the you know attracting the interest, the desire, and the action level inside an organization. So you have merchandising and stores and e-commerce in that bundle. And their job is to entice a customer to come into their stores or to use their apps to make sure that they have the right kind of assortment which meets their needs. And underneath all that is a very long rhombus. It's the bottom of the organization in terms of this design, which is the supply chain that we stripped out Things that are hidden in, in things like category management, merchandising, whatever it might be, bring some of that into the actual supply chain to actually restore where the supply chain runs uh, sort of from you know east to west across the organization as opposed to north to south. Mm. And also extend that into the key suppliers because we want to work very closely with our key suppliers because we want to win the whole thing. So my preference is to start on that big process of changing the organizational structure. But for now, we can start thinking about within the supply chain structure that we have, how do we start moving towards reducing our reliance on forecasts? How do we move better towards using our full end-to-end capabilities across our supply chain to fulfill our orders to stores, fulfill our orders to consumers directly. Mm. That's a big area of kind of, right, let's start to learn what we do. Let's try and figure out how could we break this this paradigm of putting a six-month order out to China, getting it in three months later, holding it in our warehouse, and just waiting and hoping that somehow customers are going to walk into our stores and buy it without us having to mark down. But, oh, my God, we have to do a 70% markdown just to shift it. This is all very inefficient. This must stop. We have to find a way around this. Mm. So actually taking action and bringing in marketing, bringing in buying and commercial, and then bringing, of course, supply chain and ops into the conversation. Yes. And actually looking at how can you flow through some form of forecast. I assume you must have some form of forecast still in an agile supply chain. You can't just go for it unless you've got a really super agile supply chain. (laughs) I think from a business planning point of view, we have a budget, which is just another glorified way of calling it a forecast. Mm -hmm. So we have a a framework which sets the scene for maybe a season or a year, whatever's appropriate to that particular retailer and their business. But we have to start saying, well, imagine we didn't have a forecast. What would we have to do around here to speed things up and just have that as a natural process? Mm. That allows us to think about how could we fulfill an order, you know, maybe maybe more prevalently in the store replenishment cycle, because that's normally a weekly cycle, twice a week, or whatever it might be. How do we organize our, our, our relationship with our suppliers, etc.? How do we give them visibility for them to kind of see, like we see, that that store's getting a bit low on product X, Y, and Z? Okay, but they've already 
provisioning that up front. So we, all we have to do is bring it into our network uh, and take it to the store or get them to deliver it direct. Or we've just got to be much more open to, mm-hmm. to ideas that allow us to move away from forecasting a situation that ends up in clearance sales. Yeah, that's no good to anyone, right? It's, um, it's just a waste throughout the entire supply chain and a waste of time and money and also resources, you know, from a sustainability perspective as well. Yes. And another area is how do we manage data? Mm. I, I know from my time in England, uh, initially, I think it was Tesco going back to the 90s, used to share the data and, and some bright spark in, in, in their buying department said, we should charge them for this. It's good stuff. And to their detriment, I mean, you know, because this is a short-term focus on so much that we can point to in retailing needs to improve is all in some ways self-imposed. We 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 make short-term decisions without thinking about the longer-term consequences, and it comes back to bites in the butt. Mm. So when we swap from being very generous with the data. Probably it was provoked by all. Oh, that's competitive information. They probably supply Sainsbury's and Morrison's and you know Asda, whatever. We shouldn't give them that information. We should force them to pay for it so that at least they value it. They don't spread it around. I understand that, but you can cover that off with a, a sensible form of NDA. And also, if we can think far enough back in time, that Marks and Spencers used to take something between ninety and ninety-two percent of typically every factory, you know, every suppliers that they used to deal with, they used to take that much capacity. Wow. So they can actually share the information. And we're going back to sort of the 20s and 30s, not that I had first, first-hand experience of that, but I certainly read about it. We're here in the 20s. Yeah, it's not the wrong century. The same channel, wrong century. We talk about the failure of single sourcing. I think that this COVID situation has told us when we've relied on cheap, geographically distant supply chains and we end up in one factory Mm. uh, and the borders get closed for whatever reason this time it's a pandemic it could be a natural disaster it could be a geopolitical situation whatever it might be borders are closed what happens next yeah start a list yeah yeah (laughs) if we were working with a local thing we'd take a whole range of risks out of that equation the only risk is will they still be there tomorrow are we paying them enough money to keep productive to make investments and we want them to make the investments we want them to make Mm. by giving them sufficient price to allow us both to become much more agile much more adaptive to the conditions that we're facing because whatever we face right now has been different to what it was six months ago and it's most likely to be very different to what it is in six months so we have to create goodwill in our with our supply network and ideally it's local to allow us to be able to react to that a lot more quickly flexibly and to try and get out in front of it so we can actually work with the consumers to take them on a journey towards where our our vision might be i love it i love it creating goodwill in the supply chain is such a great concept thank you gary so just as we begin to wrap up our conversation i've got two really important questions. The first one, hopefully nice and easy. How can people get in touch, Gary, if they want to continue the conversation and dive into Agile Supply Chains with you in a whole lot more detail? Um, Well, you can certainly reach out to me on LinkedIn. I tend to be quite visible on that. But if you try to connect with me, please do. But just say that you've listened to Ollie's uh, podcast, really interested in having a further conversation. Or you can write to me uh, directly by my very long email address, which is gary.newbury 
at supplychainspecialists with an S on the end, dot com. Super. Thank you. By the way, we'll put all of those details on the show notes page so you can absolutely get in touch with Gary. Gary, the final question that I'm really keen to ask is when we're thinking about this transition from where we are today to the world of agile, what's the one critical thing that we've not spoken about today that should really be sitting in someone's head? It's a very wide subject and it's one that I know some of your previous guests have uh, got very strong Mm. views on, but we haven't got a clear answer, which is what does good look like in a set of KPIs and how do we reward people for the right types of behavior? Because I think that we've been rewarding executives, managers, directors, um, workers, perhaps for things which tend to keep us in the same place for such a long time. And it's become part of their bonus. It's actually part of their income insofar as they still, you know, in that situation, are able to earn that. I think we have to start reevaluating how we judge retail performance mm. beyond same store, beyond sales per square foot, beyond sales per, you know, sales um, associate, blah, blah, blah. I think these uh, metrics, I remember going into a, a meeting with, uh, I think it was BHS or M&S in the 80s, and I, I, I was sitting opposite a merchant guy, and um, I, well, he was a finance guy, but he kind of behaved like a merchant, and he had all these statistics around him, and he was blurting them all out, and I thought, even back then, I thought, what does this actually mean? <laughs> how, how do we change our behavior because you've just told me the, the number is 2.1? Mm. What, what does good look like here? Are we, are we getting anywhere near good? So I think that one of the liberators or enablers of, of things like agile, resiliency, lean, whatever, is actually thinking very carefully, deeply about what measures do we need to establish? And that comes from the vision and your marketing objectives. What do they, how do they convert themselves into supply chain objectives? all seen it the same way and we're all aiming towards the same thing and how do we reward people for the right type of behaviors mm, a really fascinating thought there i think it's really key actually that people do think about that and actually what, what is it we're trying to achieve and is it good enough and what are we doing to actually do that if, if assuming it's the right metric to go after as well of course yeah, to that point, that good enough. I mean, you made the point in your um, live show, which was uh, another brilliant show for everybody who was involved, and I really enjoyed it. And I had to get up, at, as you know, at four o'clock in the morning to <laughs> sit into your first <laughs> session, and I was still flagging at four o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, amazing, amazing commitment. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you, ha- you, you made that point, are you good enough? And that may have been heard in different ways than you intended, but it, re- mm. it, it really was a fundamental question. What are you measuring? How do you know you're good enough? How, do you, how are you, you know, making a grade? Are you making a grade? Because unless you have the right performance metrics, really the right ones, you, you, you can you know, continue that path of dysfunctional sub-optimization. You know, like the warehouse has got a series of KPIs that make sense to them and they're doing a really good job, but the stores are suffering or the, the suppliers are suffering. They can't bring in stuff at the time that suits them and suits the business. So we, we need to have much more broader KPIs, but ones that we can all reach out to and touch and feel what we're having some form of involvement and engagement in. And, and I think that's the, that's a critical point in, in any change to, as I say, to resiliency, to ag- agility or to lean or other, other methodologies. We need the right metrics. We need to drive the right behaviors and we need to reward those behaviors when they manifest themselves. 
That's brilliant. Thank you so much, Gary. I've really enjoyed our conversation. I think it's been really insightful. I've certainly learned a lot myself. Just before we do wrap up, if people do want to get in touch, it's gary.newbury at supplychainspecialists.com, right? Correct, yeah. Or, or of course, on LinkedIn. Yes. And personalize that invite. Excellent. Gary, thank you so much for joining me on the Retail Transformation Show and opening the lid on agile supply chains. It's a huge topic, and I'm sure we could go in many, many more different directions uh, in the future, but absolutely something to start thinking about now. Thank you. You're very welcome. Wasn't that a great conversation? There were loads of different avenues that we explored and obviously so many more that we could have done as well. So if you don't know Gary, then do reach out. He's a lovely chap and highly knowledgeable on this topic as well. I wanted to recommend a few extra episodes to go and listen to now if you've not already done so. Firstly, episode 87 and 88, which Gary made reference to, which featured Joe Jackman from Jackman Reinvents some great elements there and that's all about exploring the reinventionist mindset some really key takeaways and then i also wanted to recommend episode 92 where the team from geek plus came to talk about automating your warehouses so if you're into the world of supply chain and distribution and logistics then that is another great episode looking at how robotics can really revolutionize your warehouse so that's 87 and 88 for joe jackman and episode 92 for automating your warehouse. Show notes from today are over at obandco.uk slash 108. That's obandco.uk slash 108. And whilst you're over there, do make sure that you sign up for my retail transformation briefing, which brings you the top retail transformation headlines from around the world insight, ideas, innovations, all direct to your inbox once a week, absolutely for free. So do sign up at obandco.uk slash 108. Thank you for tuning in today. Now, if you're new to the podcast, then do remember to hit subscribe in your favorite podcast app and make sure you catch your weekly dose of the Retail Transformation Show. Thanks for tuning in. And I look forward to joining you on another episode very soon. Bye for now.